Um, so I was thinking of the, preparing for the sermon this week, and it kept reminding me of a specific uh, movie clip. So I'm going to show you the clip. Uh, there is just a little bit of a blood in it. It's, it's not real. The man's fine. But just a, just a heads up, it's a, it's a fake scene. But enjoy the, enjoy the clip. All right. So <laughs> I warned you. There were, um, there were two fellows in that scene. Which one do you think you are? And before you answer the question, I'm going to give you a hint. It's a, it's a super secret thing they tell you when you're about to speak in front of the church. They give you this handbook. And in, in a handbook, they tell you that in any sermon illustration, there's generally a good guy and a bad guy. A guy that gets it and a guy that does not. You are always the guy that doesn't get it. Okay? You're, you're always that. You should always identify yourself with the character who is in the wrong. Always. Okay, so now that the, the, the preacher secret is out, which guy are you? You're the no-arm man, the black knight. So that, yeah, you're the guy who keeps getting his limbs chopped off, but is denying that that's the case. The failure, obviously, is not taking appropriate stock of a situation. As we are working through the Crazy Love book in our sermon series, one of the things that's been hanging around for the past two chapters is the concept of being lukewarm in our faith. And as we learned last week, the term lukewarm comes from a letter that Jesus is writing to the church in Laodicea in the book of Revelation. Uh, the city of Laodicea was a wealthy city. It was known for its banking industry, its manufacture of wool, and the ISAV. It's apparently fairly popular in that day. So essentially, the letter is pointing out that the half-hearted commitment this church has made, they didn't stand for anything. They were idle and stagnant, hardened and self-satisfied. Jesus says, because you are lukewarm, neither hot or cold, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. You say, I am rich, I have acquired wealth and do not need a thing. But you do not realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind and naked that's why that ice have is important the blind thing really got him but look at the pattern of what jesus is saying here he's saying that you say that you are x but you do not realize that you are this like the one-legged or eventually no-legged man in the video who won't admit that he's running out of limbs the church at laodicea is not able to appropriately assess their situation they think they're fine But Jesus is about to spit them out of his mouth, as Dan talked about last week, because their behavior makes him want to vomit. So that begs the question, where are you? Are you lukewarm, and how do you know? So Francis Chan in the Crazy Love Book lays out a number of examples of a lukewarm believer. Um, I'm not going to provide any commentary on these, but we're going to look at a few. And I would ask that you um, be open to these. Um, here we go. Lukewarm people attend church fairly regularly. It is what it is expected of them. Sorry, it is what is expected of them. What they believe good Christians do, so they go. Lukewarm people give money to charity and to the church as long as it doesn't impinge on their standard of living. If they have a little extra and is easy and safe to give, they do so. After all, God loves a cheerful giver, right? Lukewarm people tend to choose what is popular over what is right when they are in conflict. Lukewarm people don't really want to be saved from their sin. They want only to be saved from the penalty of their sin. They don't genuinely hate sin and aren't truly sorry for it. They're merely sorry because God is going to punish them. Lukewarm people are moved by stories about people who do radical things for Christ, yet they do not act. They assume such action is for extreme Christians, not average ones. Lukewarm people call radical what Jesus expected of all his followers. Lukewarm people rarely share their faith with their neighbors, co-workers, or friends. They do not want to be rejected, nor do they want to make people uncomfortable by talking about private issues like religion. 
Lukewarm people gauge the morality of goodness by comparing themselves to the secular world. They feel satisfied that while they aren't as hardcore for Jesus as so-and-so, they are nowhere as horrible as the guy down the street. Lukewarm people say they love Jesus, and he is indeed a part of their lives, but only a part. They give him a section of their time, their money, and their thoughts, but he isn't allowed to control their lives. Lukewarm people love others, but do not seek to love others as much as themselves. Their love of others is typically focused on those who love them in return, like family, friends, and other people they know and connect with. Lukewarm people do whatever is necessary to keep themselves from feeling too guilty. They want to do the bare minimum to be good enough without requiring too much of them. Lukewarm people are continually concerned with playing it safe. They are slaves to the God of control. This focus on safe living keeps them from sacrificing and risking for God. Lukewarm people do not live by faith. Their lives are structured, so they never have to. Lukewarm people probably drink and swear less than average, but besides that, they really aren't that different from your typical unbeliever. So that's pretty rough. And it should be. We should be humbled by our distance from God in these areas. But the point is not to beat ourselves up, but to hopefully assess ourselves honestly against the standards God has set forth. We don't know if we are lukewarm if we don't spend the time taking our own temperature. The Apostle Paul reinforces this thought in his second letter to the church at Corinth, and he says, examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. So we've seen some of the behaviors that indicate a lukewarm faith. The reasonable question is, how did we get here? Because you might be thinking to yourself, you know, I'm well-intentioned. I, I feel like I'm trying pretty hard, and I'm, I'm seeking Jesus, and I'm, but a lot of these things ring true for me. And although there are a number of possible answers to that question, I think there are three primary behaviors that cause us to become lukewarm followers. These are pretty straightforward on premise, but they are a bit indicting in effect. And so I would ask that you take the time as we walk through these to assess yourself honestly within them. The first one is, you don't really know God. And we need to be careful not to overlook this. And I know some of you are probably looking at me right now and it's like, what a, what a punk, man. I mean, I, I come to church. I, I, I've been reading my Bible for years. I grew up in the faith. How can you, you look at me and say that I don't know God? But let's be clear what I'm asking. I'm not saying that if someone were to say, is there a God in heaven or not, whether you would check the yes box. And I'm not asking whether you know the Ten Commandments or whether you pray or have prayed. The question is, do you know God? Do we know what he's about? Do we know the nature of his existence, the nature of his love? Do we know the hand that he has in our daily life? Do we know his character? And it's important that we know the full character of God because if we do not, we tend to seek out and worship only those attributes that serve us. If all we know is that God is love, from 1 John 4, 8, we may believe that we may do whatever we want to do and God is in support because he loves us and he just wants us to be happy. But Psalm 5.5 5 tells us that the boastful shall not stand before your eyes. You hate all evildoers. God is love, but there are things that he will not tolerate. He's equal parts love and justice because all of his attributes are adequately expressed. If we do not know and continually seek to understand the character of God, we will create our own God that most often looks a lot like us. One of the lukewarm characteristics that we read was that lukewarm people often choose what is popular instead of what is right when in conflict. That's because the God of you, me, 
wants to make things easier on you. It's a very shady moral compass, generally. What is right or wrong then becomes subjective. And that's obviously a problem. If we do not know and continue to seek to understand the character of God, we also run the risk of misinterpreting His involvement in our lives. We may be going through some hard time and begin to assume that it's because God is angry with us or that He has forgotten us. Things that we should mourn. But Paul writes that indeed all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. So we must know God so that even in our limited human way, we won't mistake Him either for ourselves or for some other God entirely. We can know better by knowing God. The second um, source of lukewarm behavior tends to be that we don't really trust God. And this is where the rubber meets the road. As we get to know God and we understand His character and the nature of His existence, the all-powerful, all-knowing creator of the universe, we have to deal with the fact of His existence and what that means for us. Lack of trust in God tends to express itself primarily in worry and anxiety. Here's what Jesus said in Matthew. He says, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Jesus could not be more clear here. One of the mistakes that we make is we make a distinction between what is spiritual and what is practical, as if the two are mutually exclusive. We tell God, thanks for the love, I'm sorry for the sin, but I'll have to get back to you later because I don't need healed or inspired at the moment. I'm dealing with some real problems. Well, God, you don't understand. I have to eat. I need clothes. Running around in my skin may have been okay in the Garden of Eden, but it's going to get me an overnight in the county jail if I do it here. But Jesus is calling us out directly. He's directly responding to that very line of thinking. He's saying God will provide. His provision is practical and sufficient. And we have the hardest time getting on board with this. We just can't trust that God will step into his creation and influence it to the extent that we will be provided for. But what do we know about God and his character? Is God a liar? Titus 1-2 tells us that God never lies. Psalm 119, God says, I hate every false way and I hate falsehood. If we know the character of God and we know that he is not a liar... We must ask ourselves, why do we not trust Him? Sometimes we are hesitant to give things over because we either believe God will not do what He says or that He will do what He says and we're afraid what that might look like. Because if we are following the Scripture in Matthew, God is providing all these things, but the condition is to seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness and all these things will be added to you. So there's, there's the rub. We have to give up. We have to stop trusting ourselves and trust in God. But when we don't trust in God, and then those provisions don't come, 
We tend to hold God accountable for not coming through when it was us who didn't trust enough to begin with. The third cause of lukewarm behavior is often the one that is the hardest to overcome. And often that behavior can be reflected in, which can be either our our full lifestyle or maybe just moments, is caused because we do not love God more than everything else. Still Matthew, after being asked, what is the greatest commandment? Jesus said, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. Why is that the greatest commandment? It's because a life lived in love with God will produce a life that is pleasing to God. Everything else after that, obeying His commandments, serving others, purifying your words and thoughts, it all flows from loving God more than anything else. Matthew 12, 33 tells us that every tree is known by its fruit. And this is important because ultimately, what we love determines who we serve. And then what kind of fruit we produce. This is one of the reasons Jesus speaks so often about money. It's because money mimics God. It appears as though it will provide for us, protect us, and that it can be trusted. When we love money more than we love God, our life bears the fruit of that. We seek the comforts of money. We want others to see how much money we have. We become worried and anxious when we don't have enough. When we love money more than God, it produces fruit in our lives that falls short of God's standard. Often, though, even though we may know God and we may trust Him, we still have moments where we simply love something else more. I'm going to give you an easy question. Has anybody ever been in a situation where there was a, a right answer and a wrong answer? A wrong way to go or a right way to go? You been there? Yep. Okay, good. Been there. Have you ever chosen the wrong way? Yep. I've chosen the wrong way. Why? Why did we choose the wrong way? It's because in that moment, when there's something that God wants us to do, and there's something that we want to do, we loved ourselves more. Do I love God more? Do I love me more? I chose me. I did the wrong thing. And it produces, ultimately, our fruit. When I choose my way and love myself more, it produces my fruit. And our fruit is not God's fruit. Our fruit breeds discontentment. It begats lust, anger, and fear. It's unsatisfying. But here's the big thing. Ultimately, it can't do God-sized things. Our fruit produces lukewarm worship, lukewarm faith, and lukewarm results. But loving God with everything that we have, that will never produce lukewarm results. So what do we do about it? It's important to recognize that we've all been in each of these steps. Places where we don't really know God, we don't really trust God, and we're not loving Him more than anything else. But the distinction between a learning, growing, strengthening follower of Christ and the church at Laodicea is the pursuit of God. They gave up. The question for us is, are we continuing to move forward? Are we pursuing God at every point, humbly trying to know Him, trust Him, and love Him as He's asked? It's also important to recognize that any one of these behaviors are symptoms of being a fallen humanity, not necessarily an indication of whether you are a Christian or not. In isolation, the things that Francis Chan lists as indications of a lukewarm follower are in and of themselves sinful and separate us from God, but they do not define our lives. Our lives are defined by God's grace. Luckily, the solution to all these things is pretty much the same. To get to know God, we need to hang out with Him. 
We need to date God, so to speak. You know, oftentimes we're attracted to God for various reasons. Fear of hell or promise of salvation, a need for friendship, consolation, hope, answers to our problems. You know, why the world is the way it is, why people are the way they are. Or sometimes simply out of curiosity. Or like Saul, God stepped in and grabbed him. But to engage in a relationship with someone, we need to get to know them. How do we learn more about God? We spend time with them. Think about the, the first time you met your boyfriend, girlfriend, spouse. Um, I'd known my wife for a while uh, before we uh, started dating. And um, I was attracted to her because she's beautiful. And I, I don't know what she saw in me. Probably room for improvement. But, but, but here's the thing. Being near her made me want to be near her more. And, and to get to know her. And find out what she, what she thinks. What she thinks about me. What, what does she have to say? What does she think about something else? And I remember being so excited. Oh, man. I kept a man diary. I, it's, oh, it's cheesy. It's really... I had to toss it. I read it like three years after we married. And I thought, this can't catch the light of day. Um, it was honest. But, it, so, um, but I kept one. And boy, I'm... That woman... <laughs> She did it to me. I mean, I couldn't get enough of her. We need to pursue God in that same way. We can learn about him by reading his word. I mean, really engaging ourselves in his recorded interactions with his people. It's the equivalent of Facebook stalking God. If, if there was Facebook around when my wife and I were dating, I totally would have gone and checked out her page to see who she was talking to, what she was talking about, what she liked, what she disliked. God wants you to Facebook stalk him. Open the book. Peer on how he's interacting with other people so that you can get to know him. We need to pursue God and a relationship with him. We study his word. We can learn how he interacts with his creation. Come to understand his nature, his will, and his character. And we need to talk to him. We can interact with God through prayer. Have a conversation with him. Ask him questions. Listen for answers. Start to share your lives with them. We're instructed in, in Thessalonians to pray without ceasing, to always be talking to God. That's a long conversation. But through it, we'll start to learn more and more about Him. So where are you at? Today. Where are you at? Now here's the bummer part. Usually the guy up here has an answer for you. And I can't answer that for you, Right? You can only answer where you're at. But as you think about that, I want you to consider this. For all of our lukewarm faith, for all of our failing, for all of our fruit, for all of our sin, God sent His Son Jesus to die on the cross. And Jesus lived a sinless life, the life that we couldn't live. And He died a sinner's death, the death that we deserved, so that we could be reconciled to God. We're sinful people, that's true. But we've been offered grace. Fierce, reckless grace. Grace that does not care where you've been or what you've done. Grace that won't be contained or controlled. There's nothing you can do to earn it or achieve it. All we can do is accept it. And we need to accept that sacrifice. We need to recognize Jesus as Lord and Savior. If you're ready to do that today and you haven't before, you can do it right where you sit. If you'd like to talk with someone about your next steps, please come talk to me or talk to Jared or put your information on that connect slip that's on the bulletin and we can reach out to you.
We need to know God. We need to trust God. We must love God and pursue Him with everything. Because anything less is lukewarm. Let's pray.